1940, a young man enlisted in the Army Corps, Army Air Corps, and he became a bombardier in a B-24. On one mission, he was out looking for a downed pilot, and when his plane broke down and crashed into the Pacific, after 47 days stranded at sea, his boat washed up on the shore of an island controlled by the Japanese, and he was taken captive. Most of you know the story of Louis Zamperini. It was chronicled in the movie Unbroken. It came out in 2014. While he was in captivity, Mr. Zamperini, if you, those of you know the story, he was beaten and tortured physically and brutally, mentally, unmercifully, particularly by one guard known as the bird who singled him out. The bird would break into fits of psychotic violence and take them out on Mr. Zamperini. Later, after the war, uh, Mr. Zamperini returned to Japan specifically for the purpose of presenting the gospel to the bird, the one who had so brutally beaten him many, many times over. This, of course, prompts us to ask the question, why? Why would anyone show such an act of kindness towards someone who had so mistreated him? A similar story is found in the life of Corrie ten Boom. She was also a survivor of World War II, but had been incarcerated by the Germans along with her nine other family members, several of whom died. Later, Miss Boom sought out the German guards to love and to forgive them. Again, we ask, why? Why show such an act of kindness towards those who had acted so cruelly against you and your family? Of course, we know why. This is part of the ethical system of Christianity, to love not just our neighbors, but to love our enemies as well. And that brings us to the sermon this evening, as we continue to think through the fruit of the Spirit, uh, that the list that we're given in Galatians 5. Uh, tonight, we are considering the fruit of kindness. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together uh, before we do so. Lord, indeed, we have your written word before us, but we need the work of your Spirit in our hearts to illuminate the word to us. And Father, as each of us, each of us hear the sermon tonight, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts for us individually to know how we would apply this in our own lives, to think of those opportunities to act kindly to others, perhaps ones where we haven't and we need to ask for forgiveness. Father, help us to value this fruit of the Spirit with the others as well so that we might display the glory of Christ and his work in our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we noted in the introduction, we're the book of Galatians. We have um, previously taken whole paragraphs at a time as we've walked through it, but we've slowed down to a snail's pace when we come to the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I've noticed that the list is not a complete list. I have in my office, for example, uh, one gentleman put together a list of character qualities. That's 45 of them and has a verse with each one. Well, obviously, they're not all in this particular passage here. We're limiting ourselves, though, to just the nine that are listed here in Galatians 5. And I've chosen to take these one at a time because I think we find that it helps to have just a singular focus on one. If I said, let's add, and some of the sermons I looked at, others, or even in in, uh, commentaries, they would say, let's let's put these these two or three together. I think something's kind of lost when you do that. Uh, Just taking one at a time and really focusing on that I think is helpful. Uh, So we're going to focus on that. This one, we'll look at the nuances of each as we do do so separately. Well, let's look at this character quality, this fruit of the work of Christ called kindness. But we might ask, why did Paul 
pick this particular quality, and even amongst the other ones, there's nine there, and I've dozens of others he could have chosen. Why did he pick this one or these particular ones? I think the answer may come if you look in this very chapter of Galatians 5. Look at Galatians 5.15. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And following list, uh, Paul's listing of the fruit of the Spirit in the passage we have here, we see in Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So perhaps that's part of the answer to the question. These may have been specific questions or problems that were going on in the church, and Paul selected these in particular to drill, to deal with those uh, issues in the church. <clears throat> Let me also point out tonight uh, that if you're not a Christian, please understand that kindness or being kind is not a way of getting favor with God. To do that, you will need to meet him at the cross and deal with your sin. That's the only way you can do that. The fruit of the Spirit, then, are not our gifts to God to earn us some kind of favor in his eyes, but they're actually his gifts to us as we live our lives in obedience to him. So again, let's now turn our attention to this word, kindness. The Greek word used by Paul here is the word krestades. It is only found in the New Testament about ten times while the related adjective is found about seven more times. The word is typically translated kindness or kind, but it could also be translated gentle, good, or pleasant. So now you're going to start to see some overlap from some of the other fruit of the Spirit of goodness and gentleness. Some of these are used somewhat interchangeably, but again, we'll go through them one at a time. Uh, Another descriptor that was interesting to me and I think is important for us to see tonight is I looked at that word, the word, was, the word that was used as a descriptor for kindness is useful. <clears throat> the word's derived from another Greek word, <clears throat> excuse me, which means to furnish what is suitable or useful, well-fitted. It was a common slave name in the Greco-Roman world. We're going to look at this more in a moment, this idea of the fittedness uh, of this word uh, in just a minute. The Old Testament word that's used for kindness is the word hesed. One commentator described it as, quote, one of the most important words in the vocabulary of the Old Testament theology and ethics. It's one of God's most central characteristics. God's loving kindness is offered to his people who need redemption from sin, enemies, and trouble, end quote. One lexicon stated that hesed should be understood as a combination of strength, steadfastness, and love, and often carries with it the idea, this is important, I think, often carries with it the idea of a stronger and weaker party, the weaker party who is protected and benefited by the stronger party. Again, think of the usefulness. The older one is being useful to the, I mean, to the, to the, uh, the weaker one, the stronger to the weaker. Well, so when we combine the ideas of the Old Testament and the New Testament and uh, try to get a generalized understanding of kindness, uh, this includes, uh, that includes all of these ideas. We can think of it this way. And this is a quote. Sympathy, understanding, generosity toward others, especially the undeserving. Loving, doing good, blessing, turning the other cheek, giving, lending, and showing mercy. It is extended toward those who will not love you back, who are not good, who can't pay you back, even enemies. A kindly disposition towards one's neighbor, sweetness of temper, which puts others at ease and shrinks from giving pain. So all of that's wrapped up in in this word and this idea that we're looking at tonight. So kindness should not be just thought of as patience. It's not just enduring 
in the context of conflict. It's reaching out to the one doing the hurting. One commentator describes it this way, kindness is not content with merely putting up with another. It must actually return acts of love. It refuses to be unkind. It refuses to return evil for evil. It will not be rude. It will not insult. It will not degrade. It is courteous to enemies. It is helpful to critics. It is good to those who hate it. It blesses those who curse. It prays for those who mistreat. That's a lot. That's a whole lot carried in that idea. For the purposes I've, uh, for tonight, I have written out a definition. It's in your bulletin, but I'm actually modifying a little bit. So if you see there under the sermon title, uh, I'm going to modify that as I reflected on it this week. I wanted to add a little bit more to that. And so here is the description I'd like to work with tonight. Kindness is an intentional act of personal sacrifice in meeting another's real needs according to God's word. Kindness is an intentional act of personal sacrifice in meeting another's real needs according to God's word. Well, it's been our practice in the past, as I've said, not only do we want to look at what does the Bible say it is, we also want to think about what it's not. We think about what does the culture think kindness is versus what the scriptures are trying to teach us. So let's take a minute and think about that. There's a couple ways in which I think the broader culture uh, doesn't capture the meaning found in scripture. They're going to have a much more simplified or truncated view of what kindness really is. First, because the culture is relativistic, and in general people believe in the innate goodness of others, many in the U.S. would understand acts of kindness without regard to context. A good example of this is the notion that when people are down and out, what they need is money. So it's just, that's the bottom line. Well, they're, they're hurting, just throw money at them. There's no context, there's no uh, further, I mean, you've probably seen the, some of the YouTube videos of the guy that just goes around and gives the people money indiscriminately, and uh, everybody's watching these things and he's getting all kinds of hits from it. Again, <clears throat> thinking that they, if they just give them cash, they're going to pull themselves out of debt and get themselves back on track. That's all they need is money. That's what kindness is, just throwing money at them. But that's both naive and it's dangerous. The Bible teaches that indiscriminate giving or the forced transfer of wealth to the poor is misguided and often harmful to the very one you're trying to help. I refer you here to the book, I'm not going to go into a big long diatribe on that, but I refer you to the book, When Helping Hurts, which is a a full book-length analysis of the problems with associated with indiscriminate giving, not giving, but indiscriminate giving. Sometimes the, con- the kindness thing you can do is actually withhold from those, uh, for example, who are unwilling to work. Paul writes in 2, Timothy, or 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. It doesn't say, well, if you won't work, just go ahead and be kind, give him money. That's not what kindness is. Second, another misconception uh, in our culture is to associate kindness with weakness. Uh, <clears throat> This is particular, perhaps even solely, an issue with men. When a man shows kindness, it's often assumed that he is weak or effeminate. And I hope you'll see that's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. It takes real, godly manliness for a man to show tender kindness to others. I'm in the middle of reading a book by Nancy Piercy. Perhaps you've heard it's a new one that's out, and I think it's called The Toxic War on Manliness. And she describes an interesting poll that was taken among men all over the world. One of the questions asked was, what is a real man? 
And the majority of those polls described a real man as, and this is the words out of her book, tough, strong, never showing weakness, win at all costs, suck it up, play the pain, play through the pain, be competitive, get rich, and get lots of women. That's the world's idea. And that's not just the United States. That was all over the world when you say, what is a real man? Thanks to the Internet, who is able to spread all these things around, and everybody has the same idea. That's what a real man is. There's not any word of kindness here. It's missing because real men aren't kind, according to the world. They're skilled killing machines, dispensing justice, or carnal, self-absorbed users of others. Kindness is not in their vocabulary or their purview because to be kind is to be weak. But in fact, that is not the case. It's completely unbiblical. And for that reason, it does take real humility and self-control to be kind to others, particularly those who have been unkind to you. It takes a strength of character that's just unknown to the culture's real men who are marked by unconstrained selfishness. Third, another misunderstanding is to think that merely affirming people in their need and convincing them that you care is kindness. We see that in our definition of kindness, we use the word sympathetic. Now, that's a word that gets confused. A lot of people confuse that word with empathetic, empathetic and sympathetic. And you'll even find people who have completely opposite ideas about what those are. But for our purposes, I would describe the difference with an analogy the way I am using it. You can differ with me later. If you think of a man who's caught fast in quicksand, and the more he moves, the more he sinks. Now the empathetic and the Mr. Empathy and Mr. Sympathy are standing there watching him. They're standing near the edge of the quicksand. Each sees the man in distress and desires to help him. What does Mr. Empathy do? Well, Mr. Empathy jumps into the quicksand, and he tells his sinking friend that he knows how he feels and he's there for him. Mr. Sympathy takes a different approach. Mr. Sympathy does care about the man, but rather than jumping in, he grabs a rope and throws it to the sinking man. The rope we're speaking of here is, in our definition, the meeting of another's needs according to God's word. He sees what the man needs, and he reaches out, and he provides for him to help him. When we think of the fruit of the spirit of kindness, we want to remember there is an appropriate and measured response, if you look at the definition that we're using this evening. We want to address the need of our brother or sister or even other, somebody else in the word, world according to God's word and not merely with benign platitudes or especially by affirming them in their sin. Well, if we're going to truly understand kindness, we need to go to the very source. So that would be to God himself, the perfection of kindness. What does the Bible tell us about the kindness of God? Well, first of all, it tells us that it's abundant. We read in Psalm 86.5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those that call upon you. God's word, God's kindness is abundant. It's also extensive. We read in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness, that's our word, and truth, keeping Again, same word, but mercy here. For thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Not only is it abundant, it's extensive. Uh, not only is it abundant or extensive, it's also enduring. Jeremiah 33, 11, The voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. His mercy, kindness, loving kindness, endures 
forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at first, says the Lord. In short, God has a lot of mercy for a lot of people for a long time. And I'd like to let that sink in just a little bit. That's not just some kind of a factoid that I want you to walk away from this morning that you can pull out for your Bible trivia class or notes or when you play the game. If you have any sense of your sin and your need, then these truths about God's mercy should penetrate your heart. It should cause you to rejoice. The very thought that the creator against whom we have covenantally rebelled is abundant in mercy is a profoundly uplifting and hopeful uh, truth. We need to remember that God was under no obligation to save us in our rebellion. Because of his loving kindness, he chose to redeem a people to himself. And if you are one of his, then you are being transferred from out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light. You're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, enlightened in your understanding of his word and works, receiving all the benefits of a child of God and the hope of eternal, eternal life in his presence. God's loving kindness is what makes that possible. <clears throat> what else does the Bible teach about God's kindness? We read that it redeems us. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord, in the, with the Lord there is mercy, loving kindness, and with him abundant redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Not only does he redeem us, we could also say another way to think of that is he saves us. We read in Psalm 85, 7. Show us your mercy, Lord. Grant us your salvation. Let me give you uh, tonight then two passages out of the New Testament as well. I'd like to turn with the, to these in Titus 3, 3 through 7. Let's see the same idea, the salvation, the redemption that we have from God and the related kindness to that. In Titus 3, 3 through 7, Paul writes this. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Great passage showing that centrality of the kindness, the kindness and love of God appeared toward us. Turn over then to Ephesians 2, and we'll see this again. Another description of what we were apart from God's loving kindness and how that has changed us. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. God's kindness also calls him 
to listen to us. In Psalm 119, 149, David appeals to God, Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Receive me according to your justice. His kindness leads him to defend us. We read in Psalm 59, 17, To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy, loving kindness. God also remains faithful to keep his covenant out of kindness. We're told in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy, loving kindness, for a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. We keep on naming these examples over and over as we see so many examples in the Old Testament. We saw those in Psalm 136, where we see a whole treasure trove of God's mercies spelled out one after the other as the psalmist lists each one of uh, these. He declares God's mercy endures forever. He writes that God does great wonders, that he creates the stars, moon, and sun, specifically for us, that he saved Israel out of Egypt and slew Israel's enemies who gave the land to his people. Each of these, of course, is done in microcosm for the nation of Israel, but the scriptures unfold, as the scriptures unfold, we understand that God's mercy is shown not just in a temporal creation, but in an eternal new creation. Not just in a temporal salvation from our enemies, but in an eternal victory over all his and our enemies. Not just in bringing his people temporally into a place of rest, but eternally bringing us into a heavenly rest as we inherit the entire earth. Not just in him dwelling among us temporarily in a tabernacle or temple, or even in a human body, but our dwelling with him for eternity in his presence. All these blessings are due to his loving kindness to us, and they call for thanksgiving and reverence and devotion and great joy in our fellowship and following him. But there's something else we should note about the kindness of God. God's kindness should never be presumed upon or disdained. We shouldn't assume that God's kindness is something to be taken for granted. And then we can just go on about our business. Well, of course, that's what he does. That's God's loving kindness. And so now I can go on and do my thing. And that's because we, we can't take it for granted because God is not only kind, he's also just and he's holy. So we read in Paul's letter to the Romans about the Jews who did not respond to God's loving kindness and thankfulness and obedience, but rather they rebelled against that kindness that he showed them. What does the Bible teach us? In Romans 11, 21 to 22, Paul writes, If God did not spare the natural branches, speaking of the Jews, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness, and that word is the word kindness, the same one that's used in Galatians 5, and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. God's kindness is not a given for all people at all times. He chooses those to whom he will extend his kindness so that we should not ignore or take it for granted while, does, while there is time. There's a similar warning we're given in Romans 2, which talking through his section on sin. Romans 2, Paul writes this, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Of course, we can... Well, the point we're trying to get at here is that as sons and daughters of God, we are called to be 
like him. We're being transformed in his image. We're to follow his steps and follow the example of Christ and how we deal with others. So when we, let's look at a couple of examples. Let's remember our definition, our working definition here. Kindness is an intentional act of personal sacrifice in meeting another's real needs according to God's word. In order for you to be kind to people and sympathetically kind, it's necessary for you to be aware of what's going on in the life of other people around you. <clears throat> this means you need to take time to look around you, to have situational awareness with an intent, because this is intentional, to minister to other people. It needs to be an appropriate response, not a naive provision, but an appropriate response according to God's word. By the way, this is why we encourage all of you, uh, we encourage the, the ushers in particular, but I encourage all of you to read the prayer guide before you come to church on Sunday morning. It's not just for praying, it's also for making yourself aware of the needs of other people in the congregation. Whether you're an usher or a member of the church, imagine taking the time before Sunday, on a Saturday night perhaps, or a Sunday morning to read through the prayer requests and then come to church knowing many of the struggles and the trials of the specific people around you. It is a ripe opportunity for acts of kindness, encouraging them, just letting them know that you're praying for them and that you care. What does that look like? It's not hard to see through the Gospels many examples of Jesus extending kindness to those who are otherwise overlooked by the crowd, by those, or by those in power. Whether it was the little children that came to him or those, those racked with sickness for years, people that, you know, the lep- people with leprosy, and they, well, you know, we stay away from those people. And Jesus embraced them. Or the prostitutes, sinners, Jesus was constantly open and willing to spend time with others and to treat them with kindness. We see other examples in scripture that help us make this idea of kindness a little bit more concrete. Turn with me over to 2 Samuel 9 to a passage that's probably familiar to many of you. This is an example of David with Saul's son Mephibosheth. We'll see that same word used several times in the context here. If you'll recall, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, David's close friend who died in battle. So David is wondering, with, uh, with um, Jonathan now gone, he's wondering about his family. What's happened to his family? And David says in verse 1, 2 Samuel 9, 1, Is there still anyone left who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness? There's our word again, for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, is there still not someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? In the same way, we are to show, God shows kindness to us then. We are to reflect him in the lives of other people. You notice that he's seeking out someone. He's, he's looking for someone in need, and he's wanting to address that. Ziba said to him, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Again, see here the, the greater lesser or the one that, who's able to help the one who is in need. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him to the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. 
for Jonathan, for your father's sake, and restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then as he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. Therefore, and your, uh, you therefore and your sons and servants shall work the land for him. You shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Here we see again all of the elements of kindness that we're talking about. It's an intentional act of David. And it's a personal sacrifice. He's giving out of his own and meeting another's real needs. Those are real needs that Mephibosheth had according to God's word. He wasn't just giving him willy-nilly or just uh, as some kind of a show. So a wonderful picture for us. Another wonderful picture is in Luke 10 where we see Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. This again has all these qualities of kindness that we're talking about in our definition. The, The Samaritan finds a Jew who has been beaten and robbed. And in an act of selfless kindness, he takes the man uh, to a uh, place, to an inn, and puts him up. We read in uh, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and we saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring uh, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And again, he said that he would pay for all his uh, his injuries and all the help that he had. What an act, what a glorious act of kindness. Now, again, so many would look at that and say, well, you wouldn't do that today. I mean, you know, if you did that today, the guy's probably a drug addict. Uh, we find any number of reasons why we would want, not want to help that guy. He shouldn't have been out there at night anyway. What's, why the Samaritan, why is he traveling at night? And why is he talking to the stranger? We told you, we raised you not to ever talk to strangers. And now, oh, now he's going to, who knows, the guy, you know, once he's in that inn, he's going to probably start ordering all kinds of stuff, and he's going to run this guy's money out. And what is he thinking? We find all kinds of reasons to not do this. And yet here it is. And Jesus said, who is his neighbor, the one who showed mercy, loving kindness to that injured man? How do we apply this to our own lives? First application has to do with something we've touched on already, and that's really just awareness. In order to meet the needs of others, we're going to have to be, number one, aware of others and aware of their needs. That's a part of our maturing in our faith. When we come to the church as a child, we're looking for what we can get out of it. But as we grow and mature, we begin to think outside ourselves. I think of it as like, when you're younger, the sign of an immature Christian or a younger person is they're more like a drain. And when they show up, they're just sucking in like this. Uh, but as you grow in the faith and as you receive from the Lord the gifts that he's given you and you recognize all that he's done for you, then you should become not a drain but like a, a, a fountain, a spring that springs out. We even saw, saw that this morning, that the idea of you, uh, the, the living water coming out of you and nurturing those people around you. Uh, that's, a, that's where kindness comes in. So first is awareness. You have to know that there are people around you. It does help to know who they are, know their names, write them down. We also have to know how to minister to them. What are their needs? If you don't take the time to ask, you, again, prayer guide is a good way to do it, but if you don't take the time to ask, how can I pray for you? It's an act of kindness to reach out to them and to try to help if you can. Right now, uh, the men at the gates, a group of men that meets on Tuesday morning, we're going through a book. 
that helps us learn how to help people with issues such as anger, resentment, bitterness, worry, anxiety, fear, social anxiety, rejection, sadness, depression, self-harm, grief, trauma, pornography, and more. Why are they doing this? So that they can show acts of kindness and meet the needs of others. Of course, kindness to others in and outside the body of Christ is not all there is. Kindness is one fruit of the Spirit, among others, and just part of a total holistic ministry. Let me close with a passage from 2 Corinthians where Paul is describing his ministry and his kindness in the context of all that we're called to learn and to practice in the body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 through 10, we read the following. Paul writes, We give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and possessing all things. This is a description of Paul's ministry and right in the middle of it, by kindness, as a good picture of what we are called to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. May what be said of Paul also then be said of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder of your kindness shown to us and how you continue to pour out on us your grace and mercy uh, day by day as you defend us from our enemies, as you uh, watch over us, as you uh, continue to sanctify us to become more like Christ. May we be faithful to receive that. Father, also uh, to be those who show kindness to others, whether it's our neighbors, our, our family, our immediate family, to others, Uh, here in church, in the youth group, to the elderly. Uh, Father, may that be said of us, that we are a a congregation of people who are kind to one another. All these we pray for your glory.